Hello, welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing progressive creators who are using their art to shape the culture of our city and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode of Creating Portland. everybody welcome to the podcast we are here with another incredible guest this is tj asena and he is a writer and journalist a queer writer and journalist who's lived in portland uh since 2008 tj welcome to the pod thank you for having me TJ, I'm really excited to have you here, especially because I know you're going to be talking theater with me, which is one of my <laughs> favorite things to talk about, as I'm sure listeners know. And um, But I'll just start broad, and I'll ask mm-hmm. you, how are you a part of the creation of Portland? How are you helping to create the culture and the city? Um, it's funny, because I think of myself as a writer first, but becoming like a like a journal, like a freelance journalist has been like such like a huge change to how I, I see like how I contribute to like the art scene in Portland. Uh, being a writer, I mean, like, you know, I'm involved in like the writing community, like, and I, I know that we think of writing as like a solitary thing, but like, like I had writing groups and we would meet like regularly to work on stuff or just generate new material. I would go to readings and like all of that has kind of you know, fallen by the wayside. Um, so just like kind of being part of that community, um, like it was been most like mostly how I've been participating in the art scene in Portland. And then a few years ago, um, I was awarded a grant to go to the National Critics Institute in uh, at the Eugene O'Neill Center, which is in Connecticut. And I did like this week long intensive uh, on theater criticism. Um, and some other kinds of criticism too. And then I came back and suddenly it was like, oh, you're a a theater critic now. And people started asking me to write for them. And so I've written for uh, here, I've written for the Oregonian and the Mercury and Oregon Arts Watch. And then I've also done some freelancing for um, some other publications and like specifically like American Theater Magazine, which kind of helped like fund that uh, grant program. So the last couple of years I've just been doing theater reviews, which is funny because like I did not study theater. Like that's not my background. Um, oh, interesting. I, just been, I studied English and writing. So, um, so yeah, then I've, so I've been, I've got, I'm trying to think of how many like reviews I've done by now, <laughs> like maybe like a hundred or Oh my more. gosh. Yeah. Uh, obviously it's a lot different now because, you know, live theater is not happening. Like there yeah. are other performances that are happening online. Although I have tried to take this opportunity to kind of expand the writing I do. And I just reviewed my first uh, graphic novel um, for Oregon Arts okay. Watch, which was like a real treat to do actually. I really like that. Um, but yeah, so just kind of uh, producing, I guess, uh, critis- like not the criticism, like producing commentary about like the art that's happening in portland so (laughs) and that uh is such an in-depth conversation that i want to get into (laughs) around 
criticism as a form of creation. So can you sort of help us tie those two ideas together? So you're looking at something someone else has already created and then mm. your critique of it, then where does that tie into the creation of our art scene as a whole? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, so I think I would say, I would say first that like, I consider that criticism can be art um, because I consider writing to be art. So, I mean, we've all read like, you know, reviews of movies or albums or something that just like, it really like excites you. Or if the writer has like a really interesting voice or perspective, like it really can like deepen your appreciation of whatever it is the subject is, or just kind of give you really something to think about. Um, and so on that level, I think like, you know, there's like this connection between like criticism and art itself. Um, but then, like, also, I feel like art critics become part of, like, a, um, they're, they become part of, like, a public conversation about art. And, um, and I remember when I first started doing this, I, uh, I got to interview um, Che Yu, who is, like, the art who was the artistic director of Victory Gardens in Chicago. And he talked about uh, like the idea of like the artist is or the critic is a person who is um, like creating a, a public conversation that people can respond to um, or that people it will, or when people see something then they think then they're kind of you see a piece of art or you see a play and you think about it and then you read a piece of criticism about it and then you think about how those how you th see things differently now or how like, a different person would perceive something and um, because the thing is about, you know, any kind of art is like, it's super subjective. And so like, you know, um, it's really, you know, we come to everything with our, just like our own perspectives. And so it's um, interesting to like read other people's perspectives, but then also like, I think what a good critic should do is help an audience member understand why a piece of art is not necessarily good, but like what, why it works or it doesn't work. Mm. And I try to think about that in when I'm doing criticism, like did like first you kind of respond to like, you know, we all watch something like, oh my gosh, like you come up when you walk out of the theater, like you have this like high, like, oh, I just saw this thing. Mm -hmm. And like, you think about it a lot. And then, um, and then you think about like, well, why, why did you feel that way? Like what qualities about the like a th like theater production made it work well was it that this the sound design was really like interesting was it just like the actors were so magnetic was it like the whole you know and especially with theater you have to I, you have to be able to like talk about like the acting the design the directing and um and like that's not something i was super confident in talking about like a, like if you're like tj what does a director do i would have been like Mm, I don't know. I see the I see the actors on stage. They put them there, like, uh, so yeah, like, uh, and I like, uh, and then when, I, when you do like a book review or something, you talk about like what is the writer doing that's engaging the reader, or like how it like you're kind of trying to show show the reader of the criticism like the bones of what makes it good. I think. And I think it might almost be more beneficial that you didn't come from a theater background so that you're looking at it with fresh eyes and you're looking at it with sort of this 
I mean, we, like you said, we can't be objective, but it's a different lens than someone who's coming up having made a bunch of pieces of theater and yeah, is trying totally. to, has a different sort of connection with that process. Yeah, it's, it definitely, I feel like it is, it is a benefit and it's a detriment at different times because like mm. there are certain things where um, if you were, t- like if you were to watch a play and the playwright was like this is based off like this is like ripping off of like a Chekhov play and I hadn't seen the Chekhov play like I wouldn't know what what's going on I would miss some kind of subtext because Mm -hmm. the theater history is not something I'm familiar with and so like you know and there are other critics I know who you know are in theater and so for them like they really can engage with like the context that the show is uh, the history that the show is like grappling with because like you know lots of art is response to other art (laughs) Right, so. right, right. And okay, so that's so fascinating too because you mentioned that your job as a critic is to sort of explain to the audience or help the audience interpret what they just saw. So do you see your primary function more as serving the audience or serving the artistic creator, the theater artist? It's like a tricky, it's a tricky uh, thing to figure out. And I'll say like how I write a review depends on who I'm writing it for. Mm. Um, like the way the Oregonian wants a review versus the way the Mercury or Artswatch wants a review is really different. And part of it is because publications have specific audiences. And so like kind of generally I can tell you like, you know, the Oregonian is like the state newspaper. And so it's like a very broad audience. And so they really value like a review that like kind of is like very very accessible to anyone who might read it who just like, you know, is not not like a theater person. Um, and whereas Oregon Arts Watch is like that, uh, that publication, that online publication is like really into, especially theater, like that's like one of their main focuses. And so the readers of those reviews are going to be a lot savvier with how theater works. Um, and so I think part of it is you have to know who your audience is. And in some ways that's determined by who's publishing your work. Like, mm. uh, and, you know, obviously if I were just writing for my own and like lots of people do that, like people, there are lots of bloggers who, even in Portland, who just would go see plays and blog about them. You know, you can be really free to talk about how to whatever you want or, um, but because I think I've mostly just always done work for publications, like I try to be really mindful of like, who is the who is the audience for these, uh, these, uh, these, these publications. And also um, sometimes just like kind of like what you can get away with. Cause like, you know, the Oregonian specs kind of like a very kind of professional uh, review. Whereas like when I would get to write for the Mercury, they could like, you could be really fast and loose and snarky if you wanted to be like, they were like, you know, they, they have like this, they have a voice for the publication. So Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to see where other uh, critics place that importance too, whether it's with the audience or whether it's with the performance and yeah, but I think everyone sort of gains something from yeah. the perspective you're offering. Well, I think also um, for, for me, like, especially when I review theater, like I think about the ideas, like I want to, even if I'm writing for like the like the Mercury and which also gives you like usually because it's like I also have word counts 
So like, mm. you know, like the mercury would give me the smallest word counts. And so it's kind of like, I want, I want to kind of think about the audience of this paper, but I also want to make sure that like the, I guess like the theater community takes, takes it seriously in the sense that like, they're like, TJ knows what he's talking about, or like he at mm. least, or if he doesn't know what he's talking about, like he has like a very like, he's, un he has an understanding of what's going on because you don't want to mm -hmm. be like, it's really easy to just like be glib about something. But like, I think digging in shows, I think it would come through to the readers, but also like, you know, you want, you want people to take your reviewing seriously. And so you want to show them that you know what you're talking about. And I think even if you, even if people don't agree with you, I think the key is to like, if you're going to make us claim about something like, this show was bad. Like you need to back it up with like some some real like strong evidence and just be like, no, it's bad for these reasons. Or the reason the show is good is for this and this and this and this. Um, so they can't just be like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like cite your sources. <laughs> yes, I feel like I'm in my English class right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more generally then beyond just your work. What is your impression of the art scene as a whole in Portland in terms of the things you like about it, the things that are working and that are strong, and then maybe the things that we need to start improving on and working towards making better. Um, so I feel like Portland has a very strong art scene and like it's, you know, obviously limited to the things that I interact with the most. Like the writing scene is surprisingly strong here. I mean, we have a lot of independent bookstores. There's, oh God, like there is this, when there were readings, there was like this uh, Instagram, I think it was, that literally list listed readings almost every night of the week. Like mm. you could go to a reading almost like multiple times a week in Portland. Um, there's, and there's a ton of great literary organizations here, like the IPRC, Literary Arts, Tin House, uh, The Attic, um, that are just, have a lot of resources to help cultivate writers. Um, and I think in theater, like, I think that it's interesting because like, I feel like since I've been here for like 12 years now, I feel like how I watch theater changes. Like I, when I first came here, like I knew a lot, actually know a lot of people in theater, which is part of the reason I got into this, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd see a lot of people's friends plays like outdoors or in people's garages and stuff like that. And I remember thinking for a long time, I'm like, I feel like Portlanders don't put in the time to polish things. Like I remember seeing a lot of plays and be like, this is messy. Like, and mm. I understand like, you know, there's a lot of constraints to making, especially theater. Cause it's like, how long can you ask people to rehearse for, especially if they aren't going to make very much money? Like what kind of like resources do you have available? I mean, like, uh, but I just remember, like, I've seen, like, a lot of theater and performance where I was just, like, this needed, like, another week or two of rehearsals or something. <laughs> um, and then there's also, like, you know, there's also, like, the larger theaters in the city. And, like, I felt like a lot of them have played it safe for a long time. And, like, I, I'm just, like, I just, like, saw shows, like, yeah, it looks nice, but, like, this is not... Uh, this is not like 
I don't know, pushing like pushing any boundaries or anything. And I feel like they're they're starting to wake up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and like it's funny because like I know I see a lot of theater, but I don't really know a ton about like what it's lo- like for people in theater in Portland. Um, like I don't really know because I don't audition or do any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so like my impression of that like of what it's like for them, I can't really tell you. But I think there's. I don't know like we there's like such an a like an abundance of art here um and i really think that um there's a, a lot to offer and i think it's also right now just like covid has just really messed up everything and like like i really wonder like you know which arts organizations are going to make it through this because uh like if they have especially if they have a space like will they be able to hold on to it if the space just is empty for six months or nine months or 12 months and i really wonder like what the art scene of portland is going to look like even like you know even things like you know like literary arts like they have a they have a space but they don't have events there anymore um everything's online like you worry about like what what's going to be like and this is a problem that's been like space has been a problem in portland i actually wrote like a article about this for american theater magazine about basically like how gentrification also affects commercial buildings and so it becomes this thing where you have a big open space like this like scrappy theater company comes in and like rents it and then the landlord's like actually we could put a craft brewery in here and make a like way more money and right. space just disappears like i I remember there was like a couple of years when like, I think it was like several arts, like some theater companies and dance companies lost their spaces because they, they just could not afford them anymore. Um, so, and that's something that like, uh, and that's something that like, you know, artists can't fix. Like we can't just right. like buy more tickets to like, she's <laughs> like, and like the city has to step in and someone of like someone in like a at a government structure has to step in and make these priority like music venues too are also like in danger of disappearing right now so it's like if and like you know i remember when the when covid happened everyone's like support your local businesses and it's like i can't keep like my local restaurants so going be like i don't have the money to do that like i can't just keep buying books from every bookstore like (laughs) i have limits too and um i think there's like I think we need like leadership, city leadership on this. And I also think though, that's something that like artists need to think about, like, because, um, you know, there's power in politics. And uh, if, and like, the thing is, is like, you know, I like to think of like the city as our, uh, there are like, we elect them, like they answer to us. And if we need things from them, we need to demand it. Otherwise they're just, going to like let it slide yeah that's an interesting conversation of how we as artists focus so intently on the product and on the project that we're working on that we lose sight maybe of the bigger picture the policies like you're saying the leadership that doesn't seem directly connected to arts all the time but is as you're saying gonna have a huge hand in whether or not any of this stays alive after this whole thing is over yeah, and I think, I think the thing to think about is that like we're all in this together. Like, the 
the problems of like the problems of the city like gentrification is not just it like it affects like communities of color it affects local businesses it affects arts organizations it affects like like single fam like like single parent families like we're all tied into this and you can't think that like it's not so in, like if you're an artist and people in your community are talking about like the problems with gentrification or the problems with like you know <laughs> or just like the way like the federal government has just whatever up to, to us like left us to like star <laughs> right. uh like you know that's all part of the same problem and we have to think about like the communities that we're in and like especially if you're like a theater or you have a space like your space isn't it's not an island into itself it's part of like this ecosystem of the city so. right absolutely oh that was that was packed with <laughs> stuff i don't even know where to start but i guess we'll start with our third segment and work it all in there so i'm hearing there is some lots of organizations that are working together really well and supporting particularly literary arts i'm mm -hmm. noticing what you're saying around that but then where are we headed and what do we need to improve on in the portland art scene what's your hope for where we're headed more in terms of theater i guess where you're noticing these more unpolished productions and then we're noticing these not very risky productions from the bigger houses what does this look like in the future I mean, so uh, I don't know if you are familiar with like the We See You movement. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's um, so incredible. for your listeners, um, a group like a large national group of theater artists of color, like directors, actors, playwrights, designers, released this statement just calling out American theater, which is essentially like a very white led national like not organization but like it's a like the most of system. the heads yeah system yeah. most of the heads of the of big theaters are white and their staffs are white yeah. and this is definitely a thing here in portland as well i mean um i actually just wrote an article for the oregonian about this about the experiences of actors of color and i interviewed them about things that they had experienced and there is a real sense that like uh, they are sidelined in the city that they live in. There's mm. there's this sense that like, oh well, like we don't we don't have the roles available, or we just like no the people here like aren't good of enough higher quality. Um, I mean, there's oh gosh, and just like the constant microaggressions that people of color face, especially when it's like uh theater white theaters want to put like black and brown bodies on stage but then like ignore the reality of those bodies like and how they experience their life and also just being in that show and i think that's something mm -hmm. portland's theater really needs to reckon with and there's like a group of um theater artists of color here and they started this uh, group called the accountability project and they're working on a way to hold theaters accountable and i think that um and you know there was a national call and i think theaters need to respond like what are they doing like there was demands made like we want to see these things and it's just like are you doing these things or not um 
So I think accountability is something that I would really like to see here in Portland. And will that show up maybe even in your criticism, right? In your criticism of these shows, is that sort of a framework now that we're looking at in terms of critics looking at shows um, and how they respond to the We See You movement? I mean, the We See You movement did have like a section on theater criticism and Mm -hmm. theater criticism is also like a very white uh, group of folks. And... um, it's really, and then it's also kind of like, this gets into like, this kind of taps into this larger problem of journalism, which is journalism itself is in trouble. Like mm. um, there, there are no full-time critics in Portland. The last, the Oregonian got rid of theirs like several years ago. And so everyone is just freelancing. Uh, and not everyone wants to cover every show. I think Arts Watch is the only only publication that was like, we want to cover everything. But like, mm. you know, these papers cost money to run and editors make decisions about what is and isn't covered. So in some ways, like it's restricted by that. Like what does an editor decide is important to cover? Um, but I think there's like a huge question of, for critics, me included, of like when you see a piece of art, like do you do you under, understand like the like the racial dynamics of what is what's happening in it? And like you know, uh, for me, like if I were if I were to just because like I'm a person of colors, I mean I can watch like a show like you know about like African experience and be able to talk uh, deftly about it. Like I might mess mm-hmm. up too. Um, and I, you know, like I did that Critics Institute uh, in Connecticut. That was like, I think there was like 15 of us who were chosen to do it. And that's like, it happens once a year. Like locally, like there's not, there's nothing to do that kind of work. Like there's nothing to train people to become critics or to develop their voices, um, which I think is also a thing where, um and this is just like my bias i guess it's like yeah it's like anyone can start a blog and do that be start becoming a theater critic but like also like this is work it's labor and it needs to be compensated um i can tell you that like i i work full-time like i do theater criticism as a side hustle and i do not rely on it at all to make money or provide any benefits because like there's just not there's no money in it like i kind of do it to see free shows and to be able to like be a part of this conversation. Um, And I think if we're going to like create like a more diverse group of critics needs to be opportunities and those opportunities need to be funded. Mm. And like, I don't know how that happens. Like, uh, you know, there's, it's funny, it's like, I don't even know, like I know who the other critics in Portland are, but like, I have never met them. Like I may probably have been two shows with them, but like, I can't tell you like about how many there are or we don't like talk about it or anything, but you know, I think that we need, um, we need to, we need diverse stories and we need diverse critics like Mm. to, to do it. And like, I know that like there are some theaters that have put shows that they're like, do not send white critics to this show. Like, because they will, because there have critics 
there have been critics who have gotten it wrong or just said just like blatantly ignorant even racist things about uh the performers or the show or the story and so it's like we aren't immune to to buy it those biases um so like i would i think about this a lot like how could we have like a more robust you know art criticism scene in portland um in a way that is like you know equitable and people mm -hmm. invest in it and like uh it feels like the current model is of journalism just isn't going to make that happen um and we need to like envision some other kind of model for it to for it to like thrive well yeah that is a huge undertaking but absolutely necessary um okay well i feel like i could talk to you for hours about this kind of stuff but we are wrapping up so wow <laughs> i know that just flew right on by tj where can people find you and your articles on the internet um if you're interested in my articles i have a website which is just my name tjasena.com i'm on twitter um and i'm gonna plug uh i have a short story coming out next year in an anthology of work inspired by ursula k Le Guin, uh yes. set to be published from forest avenue press uh fall 2021 so and see we didn't even get into your fiction writing yeah which is <laughs> i mean there is so much to do we might even have yeah. to have you back on just to talk about that wow yeah uh, I, write, okay. I write about just real quick i write about like gay people in uh yes. weird and weird unsettling situations is generally i think what my gist is <laughs> okay so very relatable to the gay experience yeah i love that okay well we will check that out and check out tj's stuff on the website which we will link below and uh yeah thanks so much for coming on tj thank you for having me bye bye Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creating Portland with me, Pearson Coons. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CreatingPDX or on our website, CreatingPDX.com. This podcast was brought to you by Wolf and Thunder Productions and Golden Pride Productions. See you next time. Bye!